Heavenly Father, you have created us in your image. We know that we are designed for relationships, but sin has marred what you have designed. Thus, we come to you in various ways of brokenness, ways in which our relationships aren't working as they should, relationships that aren't giving us the greatest joy and comfort according to your design. We ask you for the sake of your Son, Jesus, to send your Holy Spirit to guide and restore us in each of our relationships. We pray to be deeply convicted of our sins, that we repent where we should, and be encouraged and lifted up by the love you have for us in Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You and I were designed for relationships from the very beginning, and God has a design for all of our relationships. The first and foremost relationship that we have is Christ and His cross. It is foundational. It is the primary relationship from which all other relationships come. And when we are in a right and proper relationship with Jesus, there is greater harmony, unity, and love. Now, if you've been here at all with this particular series, you see that there is a concentric circle, so to speak, that we've been working on. The first and primary circle is your relationship with Christ. And then we expand it out a little bit to marriage. And marriage is the second level of relationship. And then we went to family. And family was not only what we would say the biological or nuclear family around that, but then it expanded to be the family of Christ, that you and I are brothers and sisters together through the blood of Christ, through faith of him who died for us. Now, I also want to point out, if you've been following along, that this sermon series on relationships is probably unlike one that you would find in a lot of other churches because it's not a list of the top 10 techniques to improve your marriage or the five different ways to have a happy family. We haven't done any of that, have we? Rather, we have taken a look at what is essential, what is the design, what is the essence of relationship that God has said. Because as nice as tips and techniques are, they don't transform your life. It is the gospel of Christ Jesus that actually transforms your life. If you were here last week, we had the, the group from Teen Challenge. And it was a powerful time. And they gave testimony. I know, remember one man said he had been on drugs for 12 years, started uh, 17 years, started when he, I think, was 12 years old. 17 years of drugs. And yet now, through Christ Jesus, his life was transformed. One man talked about how he went home and he actually witnessed, gave the gospel to his mother, to his parents. And I talked to him afterwards. He said, yeah, they didn't recognize me. I wasn't the man I used to be. And that transformation does not come from tips and techniques. It comes from Jesus Christ himself and his cross. You see, one of the lessons is this, and if you are visiting today, we do have sermon notes that if you want to follow along in the sermon notes, it could be helpful for you. One of the lessons that we've been working on is when your heart is changed, your attitudes change. And when your attitudes change, your relationships change. 
And what's the source of a changed heart? It is a heart that God gives you in Christ Jesus. And when you have the heart that is given to you in Christ Jesus, your life changes. You are transformed. So now we have done you and Jesus. We have done marriage. We've done family. And now today we come to the larger body, church. How are we to act, interact? How are we to relate to one another? And to that, we're going to go to Scripture from Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So what does Paul mean when he writes that he's urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called? Well, there's a clue in there. It's that word, therefore. Now, I've said this before, but anytime there's a therefore, you have to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, right? And I'll bear that again and again because that says there's context that came before it. What's the therefore pointing to? Well, in this case, it's all three chapters, the first three chapters of Ephesians. We're not going to go through all three chapters, but I'm going to do just the beginning Chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, because it is very, very rich. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in tonight all things in him things in heaven and things on earth that's the context that's the calling to which you me all of us in the church have been called there is redemption through his blood forgiveness of trespasses his grace which he set forth in Christ to unite us in all things That's the walk. That's the calling you and I are called to. See, unless you unless you just ponder that for a while, unless you let that soak in, the depth, the breadth, the majesty of his love and his grace and his mercy and the forgiveness we have in him unless you are steeped and soaked with that, do you know what people say will be the essence of your walk as a Christian? If you put all of that aside, if you just boil it down, do you know what the culture says? The walk that you are to have as a Christian, it is this, be nice. That's how it gets boiled down. Without context, without the knowledge of God's word, being a Christian means Be nice. Now, by the way, I am not against being nice. I think that's a good thing. It's nice to be nice, right? But that's not the essence. That's not the call of our walk. And if that becomes the call of the walk of what it means to be a Christian, it is like a patina, a veneer, a whitewashing over the very cross of Christ. And when you have just that, be nice, 
as what it means to be a Christian, faith actually becomes pretty shallow and hollow. It's like taking a termite-infested home that has rotted at its foundation and painted it over and said, ta-da, isn't that nice now? But when a strong wind comes, when relationships are difficult, and that foundation gets kicked, everything crumbles to the ground unless you are grounded in the cross of Christ. Go back to the men from Teen Challenge for a moment. Did you see any whitewashing patina on them? It was, they were just brutally honest, weren't they? They were just authentic in their faith. And you know, when people are authentic in their faith and they know Jesus Christ and you come in contact with them, you, you say, I want what you have. I want that type of faith. Brothers and sisters, that is what Jesus, that is what Paul is writing here when he is urging us to walk in the manner to the calling which you have been called of forgiveness, of redemption, of his grace that he lavished upon us. That's the foundation you and I are to have. Now on that foundation, then we are to interact with each other in a certain manner. And it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. There are three words up there, humility, gentleness, and patience, which lead up to bearing with one another in love. So let's talk about humility first. Humility is a difficult word to talk about in our day and age and culture. We so, certainly don't see it in politics, do we? Do, you know, don't see it there. Maybe one or two here and there. We don't see it in the entertainment industry. Humility is no longer a virtue in our culture. Now, we might see examples of false humility, like, aw, shucks. We also might see humility run amok, in which you think, I must be so humble that I'm just going to be a doorstop, and everybody's going to run over me. But that's not what humility is. If we go back to God... His word, Scripture, he gives a wonderful example of humility. This is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. Actually, 1 through 4. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. This is what humility is in Scripture. Not counting ourselves more significant than others. Or another way that it said, count others more significant than you. Now, intellectually, we can understand that. We get the, what the words mean, but playing this out in our relationships gets really difficult really fast. Because what happens is our pride wants to come up. Anybody know the musical Annie Get Your Gun? There's a song in there that exemplifies our pride and how it wants to rise. It's called Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better. Do you know that song? Have you heard that one? 
Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. And then they go, no, you can't. Yes, again. It just goes back and forth. And it's all just a, a song about one upsmanship. Now, you and I are a little bit more sophisticated than that. We actually don't say that out loud, but inside we do, right? I can do better. And you get a lot of, here's what, <laughs> this is what Christians sound like. You know? That's what the pride is trying to bubble up in our, in our being here. But as we talked about a couple of weeks ago in the session on marriage, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That submitting is hard because what we have to do is we have to give up our self-pride for the sake of others. We also have to be willing to die to self. So when we die to self, then it's not about us at all. It is about everybody else. And by the way, you can't even keep a scorecard on how humble you are. Because <laughs> could you imagine keeping a scorecard? Yeah, I was a 10 today. How about you? You know, that's, uh, you can't even do that, right? You actually have to give it all up. You have to die to yourself. And again, we have the best example in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. Who, though he, this is Jesus, though Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus and his cross and his humility is the example which we are to follow as a church, as a body of believers. So it says in humility and also now in gentleness. So gentleness is an attitude or an expression of compassion it's often associated with meekness and mercy. It's not, gentleness is not a technique that you employ. It's actually a fruit of the Spirit, right? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. So you can only have true gentleness when you are abiding in Christ. Because He is the vine, we are the branches, and the fruit comes from the vine, correct? But I want to talk about this gentleness, meekness, humility itself. They are not weakness. A lot of people think if I'm gentle or if I'm meek, I'm somehow weak. Oh, no. Au contraire, mon frère. Not at all. To actually live a life of gentleness of meekness, one of compassion, one of mercy, is one of great, great strength. Gentleness and humility are not weakness. They are strength under control. And they come from a humility, they come from a commitment to a greater calling. Look, if you just try to act gentle and act meek without the calling to which you are called, eventually you will just explode. Again, Christ Jesus is our example of this. 
He said, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Lowly, in other words, sometimes used as humble. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. And what do you find there? You find rest for your souls. That's the promise through gentleness. Humility is rest for your souls. And he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wish some of you got to know Dr. Munseth. He was the president and dean of the AFLC. And he was a giant of faith. But he was one of the most gentle, humble men I have ever met. And there's one thing you would never, ever say about him. You would never say he was weak. You knew there was a solidity, a strength of his faith. But through the love of Christ, that was the walk he was walking. Now, there's another aspect here, and it is patience. One definition in the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible said, patience is the ability to take a great deal of punishment from evil people or circumstances without losing one's temper, without becoming irritated or angry, without taking vengeance. It goes on to say, it includes the capacity to bear pain or trials without complaint, the ability to forbear under severe provocation and self-control, which keeps one from acting rashly. Another way to put it is patience allows for the continuation of humility and gentleness. It's a really easy way to find out how patient you are when you drive. When you drive and somebody is in the fast lane, but they're driving like they're in the slow lane. How's your patience with that? One of the best ways I developed patience, by the way, was to have a car and the horn didn't work. Now, I know that's illegal and there are other things going on there and it's not safe, but I learned patience. Now, here's the thing. I want you to take a look around this room today. Look, look around. Look at everybody. Crane your neck. Turn around. I know this is uncomfortable now. It's, what, a sermon that's participatory, right. But you see all these people in here? They, through the blood of Christ, through faith in him, are your brothers and sisters. Each one of you with faith in Christ is a saint, one who is called out. That's the assembly, the assembly, the called out ones. And each one of us are being sanctified, that is being made holy through the blood of Christ. And now when you take a look around, each one of us fails at that too, don't we? Each and every one of us. And thus, though we are the body of believers, we're the church, we have to have humility and gentleness and patience with one another. That's the call to which we have been called as a body of believers. And it's difficult. It's difficult 
to have this in the forefront. That's why Christ and his cross is necessary. That's also why it leads up to this last part, which is bearing in love. To bear means to endure. Another word would be steadfast. Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. You read that psalm and that refrain is over and over and over again. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. You and I are to bear one another in love forever. And again and again and again. We are to endure through the ups and downs of life, through the holiness and the sinfulness that each one of us has. And we are to do that in love. That's what marriages need to do, is to endure in love. That's what families are to do, to endure, to bear with one another in love. And that's what the body of believers is to do just as Christ has done that with us. From our gospel reading, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We follow God's design for family For marriage, for church, there is joy. And what is the name of our church? Joy Church. Thus, if we adhere to what God says, what Christ has put forth, there is greater joy. And the glue of all of this together here is this. To be able to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How many of you remember the L.A. riots in 1992? Yeah, I mean, it was a big riot. Rodney King, severely beaten by the police, as ugly as it gets, famously said, can we get along? It often gets misquoted as, can't we just get along? Can't we all just get along? But either way, the sentiment is the same. Can't we just get along? Right? Can't we just get along? By the way, the city of Los Angeles awarded him $3.8 million. But in 2012, uh, he was found dead in a swimming pool after publishing his memoir. The coroner found evidence of alcohol and drugs in his system and ruled these and his history of heart problems had likely resulted in the accidental drowning. It's a tragic story, isn't it? I mean, he'd been beaten severely, he'd been awarded this money, and yet his life still wasn't transformed, was it? It still is a matter of the heart. So when we say, can't we just all get along? By the way, if that's all there is to being Christian, can't we just all get along? That goes right back to just be nice. So there's something more foundational than that. And Paul is actually pleading here. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But what does that mean? Well, what we really find is the unity of 
The spirit and the bond of peace is a supernatural unity that comes from the triune God. Verse 4 and 5. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father and all, who is over all and through all. Paul really emphasizes here the word one. As a matter of fact, when you take a look at what he has written, the word one shows up seven times. If you were here for our series in the book of Revelation, what does seven mean? Complete, perfect. So he's talking about a full unity of the Spirit. And the full unity of the Spirit comes from, first, our triune God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. By the way, when you take a look at that, and you compare that to the Apostles' Creed, it's pretty similar, isn't it? That we believe in one God, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the Holy Spirit. Now, it's just kind of done in reverse according to what we have for the Apostles' Creed. He says that there's one Spirit, and because of that Spirit, there's one body. But there's one body because there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. He is our one hope, our one faith, and we are baptized into him. And all of this from the gracious love of God the Father, who is all in all. So our unity comes from not just our trying hard, although we should try hard. Our unity is found first in the relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural unity. Think back from um, the message last week. I talked about being a visitor, right? In that one church where I was the only white guy among 250 other people. But I didn't feel out of place because there was a unity of spirit. Now, how many of you talked, uh, you don't have to raise hands, but how many of you actually talked with folks from the Teen Challenge last week? There was a unity of spirit there, wasn't there? There was a sense that we are brothers and sisters. And it's certainly not through our own blood, but it's through the blood of Christ that we are united. That's the spirit. And the bond of peace actually comes from the peace of the gospel. Those men who gave testimony were very troubled and had no peace. And because they had no peace, they searched out ways to numb themselves, to avoid the pain through alcohol, through drugs, and other addictions. But in Christ Jesus, they had peace. And if you also remember, they said they had an 85% success rate five years later, which is unheard of in any other program. So it's the gospel of peace. Look, I know we covered a lot here. Just a few verses, right? But let's just put it together because it's actually pretty simple. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's God's word. 
It's pretty simple, isn't it? But it is not simplistic at all. It is rather profound. It's the essence of how you and I are to live and work and do ministry together. So let's, a couple questions to help you digest what we've covered today. First of all, take time to meditate on the calling to which you are called. If necessary, go back to Ephesians and just start reading through Ephesians and remind yourself the calling to which you have been called. That's what I mean by meditate on it. Actually, study God's word here. And then ask yourself, are you walking in the manner worthy of your calling? Number two, how does your heart need to be shaped by humility, gentleness, and patience? And three, how are you living in the bond of peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have poured out your grace upon us in Christ Jesus. And we ask through the power of the Holy Spirit to be both convicted and encouraged and uplifted to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. Dot com.